My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. Then you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. We're going to try something different this year, and we're going to do something that just I think is going to be great. You will have this text memorized by 52 Sundays together. And so I would like to ask you, whether you're here in the room or online, to stand up. And we're going to read this passage out loud. This will be our benediction. It just won't be at the end, all right? And we'll do this every week. And this is from God's Word, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll begin our message. Let's read this together. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we read these words. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So let me pray. Father, as we open up your scripture today, may your words either do the work that's on this screen of correcting and pointing us in the right direction and and getting us back on the right track, teaching and instruction, or something else that you would do. We want to say yes to you, God, and your word. Move us, change us, we pray in your name. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. And if you were online and you stood up, extra points for you, just email me and I'll send you some points and you will be that much better on down the road. Well, I want to talk just for a few minutes about parenting. Uh, if, if you don't have kids, uh, maybe this doesn't connect. Or if you know someone who have kids, maybe you kind of get this. But when you become a mom or dad, life changes. And if you've got little children, this is awesome for you. Wait till they become teenagers, and this is how this will connect. Parenting can be a challenge, right? Anybody? Get, just raise your hand if you want to testify to that. Parenting could be a challenge. I mean, you guys in your row, you got girls. All of you have girls. Well, oh, man, I know your girl, man. She's crazy. Okay. Um, I have boys. My wife and I have boys. That's uh, a different journey. But parenting can be a challenge. You know, Mary Beth and I, as uh, God has blessed us with three sons that are almost all going to be in college in the next couple of years, which is crazy, we know that parenting can be a journey. There are varying stages of that. You guys, your kids are off and your son, they're raised and they're coming back. And man, it's so proud to see them on the journey of life. You know, 
our goal is to create and build a home that's filled with grace and truth. Why grace? Because grace is necessary. Grace is, is the oil lubricant of life that allows you to live together in a home, right? It's the idea that nobody gets it all perfect and we give grace because we need grace. You know, you could have a legalistic life and a legalistic home and you're going to lose your kids because the goal is to not get them to behave right. It's to get their heart where it's in tune with God, right? Because all behavior flows out of the heart. And truth, because we have to create some boundaries, some fences, and we have to teach them God's word and the truth so that they can grow up in a way that brings honor to God. So grace and truth. And you know, it's always a journey, right? It's always a journey. And some seasons, things are going well, and other seasons, they're not. You know, I'm going to cross my fingers here. I know that's not probably not a good thing for a pastor to do, but man, we're in a good season with our boys, you know? And it's exciting to see that as they're, as they're walking along the journey. But those of you that have lived this journey long enough know that you can do everything as best as possible, and your, your children still might turn out a little warped, right? You know, because everybody writes a narrative of their life. Every, every day is a page and you can see it a different way. Two kids can grow up in the same household and one can turn out this way. Another can turn out the other way. And they'll swear up and down that that's the way it was. You're sitting like, I don't know that that's how it was. And you know, it's a challenge in life, right? You can do everything and your kids might not even follow Jesus. And it's a challenge, right? It's a challenge to to figure out what would it look like to reflect the father heart of God today in this moment with my kids, with, with my spouse. What would that look like with other families? How do I reflect God's heart for my kids? And, and you know, one of the things that is a reality, and I think it might encourage you just a little bit, God was the perfect father, and even his kids went astray, Right? All right, so uh, you can do everything perfect and create the perfect environment and your kids might walk away. That's what happened in the beginning pages of the Bible. Now, the Bible's a big book. It's actually 66 books, we would say, or letters. And uh, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the, you know, the, the, the bigger part in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the New Testament, the, what we would say as Christians is more of our text here, all God's word. And we know that it was written by about 40 different authors, three different languages, three different continents it was written on. And we also know that it took about a span of 2,000 years to write it, from the writings of Moses up to the very end of John's writing in Patmos there when he wrote about the book of Revelation. That's a big expanse, right? And so every week we're going to talk through the Bible and you're going to read through the Bible. Hopefully, please take us up on that journey, that adventure, because it will change your life. Guaranteed, proven, statistical data says if you want to see growth in your spiritual life, Every day, read and reflect on God's word. That will be the change for your life. And it won't be every day. Trust me, we're going to be in Leviticus for a while. It won't be every day, okay? Uh, We'll be in Judges. You'll just want to, like, you know, drive your car off the deep end of the road and during the book of Judges. It's depressing. But we'll get through it, and together we'll journey and we'll grow in ways we never imagined before. That's God's word. And so that's our goal this year as Sunrise is to walk through the Bible in 2022 because I firmly believe that God's word is powerful. God's word will change us. Now, I believe this, that the simple message of the Bible uh, is that God loves us and is pursuing a relationship with you. I grew up kind of with a different perspective. If I could put the whole purpose of the Bible on a post-it note, it would have been the word no, 
just knock it off. If you're going to have fun, no. Okay. God was kind of this killjoy, right? That was me early on in life. And then I actually came to know God through Jesus. And, and I discovered that God actually was pursuing a loving relationship with me. That the whole theme of the Bible from beginning to end, creation and fall and redemption and restoration is all about God pursuing a relationship with us. And throughout the Bible, he does it in amazing ways. Sometimes he shows up physically, shows up through people. Other times it's through the experiences of our lives that we encounter God through other people we encounter God the church we encounter God and it's a journey but it requires something it requires us to have trust to have faith in him it also requires him to take a step towards us because we're broken and sinful which is what we're going to see today in this story the very first story in the Bible and that God is going to initiate a relationship with us and so that's kind of the huge big picture of the Bible and it all starts with this verse right here in Genesis 1 1 which by the way if you open your Bible to the first very first page it's that verse right there Genesis 1 1 it doesn't get any pre that it's right there it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth one of the questions that I throw out on our sermon note study with some questions at the end and hopefully you'll grab that or download that today, is like, what does this say about everything, about God, about the world? What, does, what do all the stories we're going to see today tell us about our identity, about our purpose, about who God is, who we are? This is important. In the beginning, don't just brush over that. In the beginning, whenever that was, however long ago that was, in the beginning, God stepped in and he created everything. And then in verse 27, it's this beautiful culmination after he creates the sun and the moon and the stars and all those things. And he puts people on the earth. It says this. It says, so God created human beings, male and female, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. This idea, and in, 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 in the, you know, the idea of the imago Dei, the Latin, this, we are made in the image of God. That There's something specifically different about us. You know, you may have dogs. My wife and I were up on a hike, bunch of dogs out there. I don't know if dogs really like to hike in the snow, but they were, they were jumping around, right? I know cats don't like to do anything except sleep, so we're not going to take our cats up on a nature trail. But you know what? When you look at all of creation, and, and it was beautiful yesterday. We were in this new nature preserve that, that this, uh, the county's built up and metro's built up. We're walking around in the snow, and it's just gorgeous, you know, the sky. And we're just looking at all this. It's beautiful. And God said over and over and over again, it's good. It's good. It's amazing. And he ultimately said it's very good when he created Adam and then Eve. Because there's something different about us. We're not just like trees. I remember as a, as a kid watching Cosmos, Carl Sagan, I think it was in the late 70s, and he went up and grabs a tree and he goes, this tree is my uncle. I'm like, well, then you're a knucklehead. Sorry. I know you're brilliant, but you're not a tree. You have been made in the image of God. That means every person that you look at, every person you encounter, no matter how marred that image is, maybe how dim that image is, every person has intrinsic value. No matter what you look like on the outside, no matter what you look like, you know, in your relationship, in your tribe, in your community around the world, every person has been made in the image of God and that makes us special, that makes us unique, that puts us in a place above all of creation because we can know God and have a relationship with him. I remember my son, Josiah, in fact, it was just, just yesterday, we were in a group and 
Josiah and I were talking about this story of when we were in Cuba. He was in Cuba with my wife doing uh, mission work. And then later, my wife and I were there with Israel and Liz uh, doing some pastor training. And we were in Santiago. And this translator that had gone with my wife and, and son had was there. And we were meeting him. And she kept looking over every time I would talk. She kept looking over. And finally, I'm like, what? you know, is there something I need to know about? She goes, yeah, every time I hear you talk, you sound like your son. I'm like, whoa, not even close. He sounds like me. I'm the originator. He's, I remember going to a Red Robin when he was just a little tyke, and we went there to get those fries, Whiskey River barbecue burger and those French fries. And we're standing there. He's there, and the gal that took, you know, to see us, she goes, oh, don't need a paternity test on that guy, which I'm like, sorry, kid. That's what you got. <laughs> there is something in my son, that's a reflection of me. You might have your mom's eyes or your dad's nose, you know, or your brother's attitude. I don't really know, but there's something special about you and me. We've been made in the image of God and we have value in God's eyes. And God created everything and he culminated in a perfect place with perfect people in a perfect relationship. And, and this is what it says here. It says, then God, if we go on in the text, It says, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may eat freely the fruit. You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. And so God creates a perfect place, perfect people, perfect environment. In fact, we see that he walks and talks and he comes down and hangs out with Adam and Eve. Okay, But there's one prohibition. And you might ask, why would God do that, right? Why would God say everything is good, everything is great, but there's one thing you can't do? Well, the reality is, is that love requires a choice. We'll talk about that in a bit. But this verse, verse 25 right here, take a look at this next one I want to share. It says here, now the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, I think this is true on a human level, but I think it's also true on an emotional level, on a metaphorical level that there was nothing broken between them. There was no shame between Adam and Eve. There was no shame between them and God because everything was perfect. And we look around and we wonder, where did that world go, right? Because sickness and disease and COVID and all kinds of things, earthquakes and cancer and, oh man, the broken destruction of this world, the evil in the world. We look at it and go, where did this all come from? Uh, in, in the late 80s, I think early 90s, Bob Dylan had a great song called Everything is Broken. Everywhere you look around, everything's broken. And that's just what the world we live in. We go like, I kind of like this Adam and Eve world in the Garden of Eden, right? How did we get from there to where we are today? Now, we know about brokenness, right? We know that. You, you and I live we, the last two years, right? We're going on into a third year of brokenness in our culture, in our society, in our politics, in our education, everything. And the world is turned upside down. We know about our dreams. We know about broken health. We know about broken relationships, I mean, families are broken, marriages are broken, churches have been broken because of COVID and because of all the effect of this. And we go, how, you know, man, wouldn't it go back to, be great to go back to normal, right? I don't know if this is ever going to be a normal again. It'll be a new normal. And I hate that idea because I wish it were like it was, but it's not. Same thing with Adam and Eve. It's not going to be possible to go back. Now let's go back to my sons for a moment. Mary Beth and I can do everything we can possibly do to raise our sons to love God but that won't guarantee they will. We can set the table. We can spend time with them. We can love them. We can do everything, but they have to make a choice 
to follow God, to even to love us, right? Why? Because real love offers a choice. If I were to lock my sons up in a cage, which there might have been some moments in their life when I thought about that, or in a minivan, you know, um, and I could have them say the right words, that, that's not love. Love requires a choice. God could have made Adam and Eve to be robots, uttering everything, never having the option to sin. But that's not love. Real love requires a choice. And with a choice comes responsibility, right? For the choices and decisions we make. So God created a perfect place. Perfect people, perfect environment. So much potential, so much love, so much amazing idea. That was God's paradise for us. That's how much he loves us. He created everything around us. And he created us to know him and walk with him and love with love him. But we had to choose. I remember when I was in high school, I had a crush on a gal. I'd just come to Christ. And this, this beautiful gal uh, through high school, a couple years. I just, I just puppy love, first time ever. And man, I'm just telling you, I just, I just thought I was in love with her. But there's nothing I could do to make her affection turn towards me. I could spend time with her, hang out in youth group with her. You know, I could have given her flowers. I could have written notes, all stuff. But she had to make a choice. And she didn't choose to love me, you know, which broke my little heart, Right? But that was her choice. I couldn't force that issue. She would have had to choose to say yes, and she didn't. What happens if we're given a choice and the answer doesn't come the way we want? Some of you are older in your parenting, and your kids are already out of the home. Maybe they even have kids. And you know the pain of having children that have walked away from God, maybe even have walked away from you, or that are making really terrible choices right now. You're like, please do the right thing, but you can't force them to do that. Or maybe it's a marriage, and you, 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 know, you wish your spouse would turn around. You're, you're, you're in 2022, your goal is you know, something to happen in your marriage. I understand that. You can't make someone love you. You can set the environment. Man, I chased Mary Beth for five years. I think the only reason she said yes to marry me is because I just wore out, you know? I just would not give up on that gal, you know? And she finally said yes, you know? But she could have said no. And there were times when she said no. And I had to deal with that. What do I do at that moment? You can't force someone to love you because they have a choice. And that's what God built into Adam and Eve. When he put them in this world, it was a place full of amazing potential. But he gave them the opportunity to choose because that's what they needed to say yes to God. Now, we don't know in the story. Maybe we can ask one day, you know, God, if they would have chosen to say no, would the temptation would have been gone? We we just don't know. That would have been a nice little thing, right? We wouldn't be here today. It'd be different. But they chose to sin. Real love requires a choice. In fact, let's just jump into this. This is what it says in Genesis 3. It says the woman was convinced. She, so the, the, Satan shows up in the form of a serpent and convinces her, lies to her, deceives her. It says the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. Boy, that scoundrel. He's hanging out in the shadows. Men, we had that struggle even before the fall. We, you know, it's like we should step in. And my, I was uh, in... Florida a number of years ago and we drove our little minivan over there and and we were hanging out with my wife's cousins and and their kids and um, half of us are in her and uncle's house there in Bradenton and the other half are in the van or kind of walking and immediately Randy um, her cousin's husband screams says get the kids back in the van shut the door I don't know what's going on I pull the kids into the house he grabs a hoe and he whacks this big long black poisonous snake in half he cuts his head off 
and he holds it up. And I'm like, dude, that's a man. He had a hoe. Can I just be honest? Adam should have grabbed a hoe and whacked the serpent's head off, but he didn't. Men, we have responsibility here, okay? Don't just put it on her. (laughs) He was hiding. He was in the shadows. And so she gave some to her husband who was with her. He ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Man, when they saw that they were naked, there was an awareness at that point. There was an understanding of of something they never understood before. Innocence was lost. And they, they, they had to cover themselves. And they sew fig leaves together. And we do that today. And we try to fix relationships and sew things together and make it work or patch it and pretend that nobody knows, right? But it's, it's real. It's real and it's broken. And then we go on in the story. It says this. It says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, which seems to be a regular practice, maybe a daily practice. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees, which is kind of what what a child would do, right? It's like, seriously? You know, when your kids run around the house and, and, you know, they hide, it's like, where are you? You know where they are. This is what's going on. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? God didn't not know. You know, he knew, but he needed the man to know that God knew, all right? And it says here, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. The text goes on to say, who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? God knew all this. He needed the man to come clean, right? The man replied, I'm not going to come clean. I'm going to blame someone else. It was the woman you gave me. So it's the woman and it's you. And if you hadn't given me the woman, I'd have been fine. Like that, that's a good one, right? Try that in the counseling office. Then the Lord God, it's the woman you gave me, gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And then she cast blame too. I think, you know, it's kind of like we keep blaming until there's a dog in the story and we just kick the dog or whatever. It's like down to the bottom, right? The serpent deceived me. Now, all that is true. But you see what they're doing? They're hiding. They've got shame. They've got brokenness. They're trying to cover themselves from God who made them and knows everything. And now they're blaming to shine the light on someone else. Don't we do that today? Absolutely. The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. It's not my fault. And that's where we are today. And we cast blame and we make excuses and we defend, we deny, we deflect, and we do that. And our relationships are broken. I mean, here was God pursuing a loving relationship with you. And in love, he walks down into their environment, into the garden, and invites them And yet they're hiding. And shame has so filled them that they can't live the way they are. Shame and fear and guilt so transformed Adam and Eve that they no longer could see themselves, one another, or God clearly. God calling out to them, I believe, was an invitation to grace, an invitation to a relationship. When God asked the man, where are you? God knew. Did the man know? And he came out and said, yeah, we're naked. And we're shamed. And we're trying to hide. We're trying to cover ourselves. And if that doesn't work, we'll point the finger at somebody else and see if we can trick God, right? But he's not so easily fooled. But eventually, Adam confessed. And it says in verse 3, 21, after giving out all these curses, 
the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Man, that's a beautiful story. They tried to clothe themselves with fig leaves. God saw through that. And it took the death of at least one animal, if not more, for God to use that skin to cover them. Amazing, absolutely amazing parallel to what God does for you and for me. You know, we're not going to have time because it's going to happen quickly this week to read the story of Noah and the ark. But this idea of God, you know, telling Adam to cover, uh, Noah to cover the ark with this pitch or this tar is this idea of atoning. And that's a big picture in the Bible that God covers our sin. He doesn't hide it or deny it or just eradicate it. He covers over it. And God covered over Adam and Eve's shame and nakedness. But they had to come out of hiding and they had to stop blaming and God covered. And the shedding of blood is a foreshadow. And it says this, and this is just, it's in the middle of all this, but it's pretty cool. It's pretty cryptic. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And this is the first prefiguring of Messiah is that Satan will have this attack and he already has. And if you've ever seen the passion of the Christ, you can see the beginning when Jesus is praying there and he, he crushes the serpent. The serpent speaking of the devil was crushed but not before he struck and not before he did his work and not before he damaged us. And so today we're born and we're born with sin. We're born with the struggle. We're born into a broken world. We're born in a world where everything is falling apart. Everything is decaying. Everything, everything is broken. And we got there because we as human beings rebelled against God and didn't trust him and didn't put him first and thought that we could do it ourselves. Man, it just snowballed down. But that still goes on today. When you think about this, I have a lot of conversations with my sons about this idea of shame. Because um, I, I grew up in an environment where there was a lot of anger and a lot of fighting and everything like that. And I had to figure out how to live. And the beautiful thing about being a child is we're pretty good at coping. We're pretty smart about figuring whatever we need to do to survive, right? And that's, that's a good thing until we don't unlearn those things, right? And we all have shame, we're all broken because the center of our being is cracked because of sin. The question is, what do we do with it? Do we hide? Do we try to cover it? Do we try to fake it? Do we try to blame others? Do we try to lie and deceive and point the fingers? Or do we come to terms with it? Every one of us, if everyone could know our thoughts, would be filled with shame. Right? And so we do whatever it takes to create a self-salvation plan, right? Right? That's what we do. We go around and we try to fix it. And we try to go, well, here's my, I don't want anybody to see this part of me. And so I will compensate on this side over here. And um, I will, I, for me, it was a performance plan. I jumped on the treadmill and I started running. I started running. Of course, it gets you nowhere, right? Just exhausted. And I worked hard and hard because I wanted to hear my dad say he loved me and he was proud of me, which I'd never heard. Okay. But I wanted to hear it. I worked my to, fingers to the bone to hear that. In fact, then when I became a Christian, I just transferred that to God. That was how messed up I was, okay? And I did that too. And I got to impress God and I got to do this and I got to do that because God's demanding all this stuff. It took my 20s, a decade to unlearn my first 10 years. Um, and in many ways, getting married and having kids is a helpful part of the process. But the reality is, is we're all broken, friends. And we try to create some way to pretend and so we create this personality and this false self that we want people to see this this coding that's not really us because man if anybody saw us 
be devastating if they knew the real us, right? Fact is, God knows the real us, and he loves us anyway. He's crazy about us. You can't do anything to impress him more, right? He's not going to love you anymore. He's not going to love you any less. He already loves you. He knows you. He made you in his image. You're his child. He wants you to draw close to him. And he dearly loves you. But here we are living this self-salvation plan as we put on this personality, this self, this outer coating in the fear that somebody else might see us. And so we begin, I, I got a list of things we do. Some people become really religious and we become religious so we can feel good about ourselves and we can show everybody how great we are with God. Okay, that's a false self. Sometimes we uh, become the clown. You know, we're comedians. Why? Because we're dying inside. And if we can just make someone laugh, we, it just shines the spotlight away from our own pain. Tough guy? Man, how many guys? Tough guys, they gotta be tough. Inside, they're broken. Drama queen? Oh my goodness, or drama king. I know some of those guys, right? The achiever, that was me, the golden boy. I got a friend, he called himself that. He goes, I was the golden boy. Everything I touched turned to gold until it didn't. And see, that's the thing. All of these things work until they don't. And when they stop working, man, we have chaos. And we have a life that's devastated. Because we, we've tried to create a false salvation plan that only hurts and only destroys. Workaholic, the know-it-all. Man, the reality is we're never going to measure up. And if we dared to open up our heart to God, or even worse, to somebody else, what would happen if they saw us? And so we pretend. And that's the world today. Man, that's the social media world. That's everything. I just want to look like it. I just want people to think I'm like that. Social media influencers, you see all the behind the scenes pictures. It's all false. It's all green screen. It's all blue screen. It's all CGI. The reality is boring, right? The reality is unimpressive. The reality is broken. But that's real. And when you come to terms with what real is, it means that you can open your heart to someone else and they can open their heart to you whether to friendship, in a small group. Um, one of my favorite books through college, and it really helped me a lot, was from John Powell, a Catholic priest, and he wrote this book called Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? A simple book. Uh, it's not very complicated. That's why I liked it in college. It was an easy book to read. And Powell asked this. He says, why am I afraid to tell you who I am? Because if I tell you who I am, in other words, if I open up my chest and expose the real me, he says, why am I afraid to tell you who I am? Because if I tell you who I am, that's all I have. And if you reject that, I have nothing left. And so I'd rather just live my life closed, pretending, right? Friends, that is not a great way to live because it'll destroy your life. God built you for relationships. He has come into this world to call you to himself, but you gotta, you gotta be honest. You gotta crack open the real you you got to come to terms with your brokenness and sin and come out of hiding and come out of blame, blaming others, even blaming God. And then you come to this point where you are honest with him. And then you, then you come to sunrise and you start being honest with each other. It's a scary place. Some of these men's accountability groups, I know because I'm, I'm a guy, we go to these groups or women's groups or you go to you, you, a purity group or you go to AA or whatever, you stand up and go, hey, my name's James and I'm an alcoholic or I'm James and I'm hooked on narcotics or I'm James and I, I have a food issue or I'm James and I have an anger issue or whatever. It's like, it's, it's freeing to finally be honest right but you got to keep doing that and that's what this body is all about it's a place not of faking it but of being honest and transparent because otherwise we will continue to live in shame but God's grace has covered us and his love has covered us in Jesus we can come out of blame we can come out of hiding and we can realize that we are still sons of Adam and daughters of Eve and we'll still struggle but we can struggle together friends 
We can be in a community where we encourage one another and carry one another. And we bear one another's burdens. And we confess our sins to one another. And, and, you know, we get into people's lives and we encourage them and challenge them. And we're better together because of it. Because the lie of the enemy is you can't be safe if you exposed yourself. And the beautiful truth of God is I already see everything. So just come clean and I will work that process in your life. I want to pray. And I want to pray for you because I, I don't know where you are as the new year starts, whether you're here or online. But I want to pray for you because God loves you and he sees everything. And he invites you into an honest relationship with him and one another. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that even though we're broken, even though we've sinned, even though we've fallen short of your perfect standard, you're crazy about us. You love us. And we look in the mirror and we don't get it. And so we hide and we try to defend ourselves or deflect the issues and point to somebody else, deny problems. God, I pray that we would come clean. That this would be a year of, of coming clean before you and one another. That we could enter freely into groups where we walk in and we just open up our chest. And we say, this is me. This is this week. This is what I struggle with. Because every other person has struggled too. None of us are perfect. But you, in perfect love, came down and gave us your son, Jesus Christ, to ultimately cover over all our sin with his body and blood on the cross so that we could be free to live a life. Yeah, there's still hurts, there's still pains, but we have eternity in our hearts now as we walk with you. God, I pray that even now, maybe here online or for years to come, if somebody's watching this, that they would reach that moment where they would say, yes, God, today is the day I have to come clean. I have to stop hiding. I have to stop covering. I have to stop blaming. I have to stop letting my shame control me. And I have to walk out of darkness into the light. And I confess my sin to you, God. I agree with you that I've sinned. I agree that my own actions are destroying my life. But I say yes to Jesus and yes to his forgiveness. I say yes to a new life in Christ. God, I pray that that's the reality for us and that's how we live because the world needs to see that as a follower of Christ, not fake, but broken, transparent before you and others walking together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.